Hi guys, welcome to Jules and Phoebe, the weekly pop culture and social commentary podcast brought to you by yours truly, Jules and Phoebe. How are you? I'm good, how are you? Good, are you feeling restored after our break last week? I wouldn't say restored, it's going to take a lot more than a week than a week. Yeah, to restore me, Yeah, um, but I have a bit better. That's good. Did you give yourself a social media break or was it just... Just a podcast break. Just a podcast break. <laughs> yeah, I think it's very difficult for me to go off social media 100%. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been a bit more kind of careful about what I'm watching and what I'm following. Yeah. For sure, online, I didn't take a full-blown social media break. But I just thought, you know what, take a break off recording. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because recording a podcast in general is not easy. And recording a podcast in this context and with our type of content is obviously not easy. Mm -hmm. So I just needed to rest. And I'm happy I did that because it's not my natural approach. My natural approach would just be keep going until like you can't go anymore, which is not sustainable. Right. So I was like, okay, good. At least I have the courage now to like know my own limits. Yes, of course. Um, You know, the world doesn't end because you don't record your podcast for a week. No, for sure. And I also think, you know, we, we mentioned it on the Instagram as well that, there was a lot going on. There was a, a huge influx of information and activity. And I think in light of that, there was an expectation, I think, in some groups that black women or black people, non-white people were going to be the educators for all of these white people who had just maybe noticed that racism existed. And it's important within that that, you know, we've we've spoken about this in the past couple of episodes, but we had been speaking about it for longer than that as well that if white people are interested in in learning more, those resources are available and you can absolutely go and find them yourselves. Please don't be expecting people in your circle to act as free educators for you. Absolutely. And I think if you don't engage in educating yourself on any topic, then you're not even able to hold yourself accountable. Mm. If you're looking for other people to educate you on a topic with so many readily available resources. Yes. It's crazy. It's completely irresponsible, actually. It's a bit strange. You have to wonder that if you're happy to do it for this, what other areas of your life are you also looking to just kind of outsource? Do you know what I mean? As you said. It's super weird. But I do think that with everything happening around Black Lives Matter, it is so difficult for people to face racism. Mm -hmm. Anti-blackness is so deeply entrenched in our culture that I just think it's very difficult for everyone to face. So it's easier to say Tell me what I need to do, whether it's genuine or not. It's just easier to just like call up a black person, you know, as if black people have all the answers. But it's definitely been strange. But for me, super, super eye opening. I feel privileged because I feel that this is a moment where people that are willing to kind of face it and engage are doing that. Right. And if people aren't willing to face it and engage and engaging in these types of topics is your value, like you want a more equitable society, you genuinely care about equality and you're willing to do the anti-racism work, then you just know who who's in your corner and who's not. And that's no, very little. Sure. I think as well, it's interesting that you say people making the comment of, oh, you know, what can I do? I was actually having a conversation about this with my mum recently in the context of grief. We were talking about how often people say things like, you know, let me know if there's anything you need which when you think about it is always coming from technically a good place. But the likelihood is that if you were to say, 
to someone who is grieving. Let me know if there's anything that I can do. And they turned to you and said, do you know what, actually, I cannot face into doing a food shop right now that you'd be like, what? Mm -hmm. Like, no, I I was, I was just asking. I didn't expect you to, I didn't want you to actually say. So in the same way, if, if you go, oh, let me know if there's anything I can do. And you go, you know what, actually, you could start speaking up in these team meetings we've been having. Is your response, if someone tells you that, going to be like, oh, no, but I'm going to post a black square. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Yeah. And that's the frustrating part, you know, because I would rather you don't call me and ask me how I am. Mm-hmm. I find it even more frustrating when I feel that people are doing things because they feel that they have to do things. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> someone told me a very funny story. Apparently there was like a chain letter or like some chain thing on Instagram or by email or whatever. And it was like, don't break this chain if you're not racist. Like, don't break this chain. Oh, no, <laughs> something so weird. All a performance. It's something that people are performing. Yes. Uh, there are genuine people out there, but a lot less genuine people than the ones you think are genuine because they're posting random things online. No, for sure. There's a lot of virtue signaling that I think goes on in general on social media. But yeah. I've also, I don't know if you've noticed that people are also saying things like, you know, why aren't we talking about Yemen? If you will post this, but you won't post this. And it's kind of like, you know what, I have to let you know right now, posting about Yemen is the least that you can do. You know what I mean? People want to behave like messing up their Instagram algorithm is such an act of bravery. I um I don't know if you noticed, but I posted a list of black owned businesses that you can shop at. It's like that's not are you shopping with them or are you just sharing that on social media? Like Yeah. Are you shopping with them? You know? <laughs> I had to have a look at, you know, like my shopping and where I'm spending my money and I'm not intentional enough about, mm. you know, where I invest my money. And I think it was excellent that Beyonce did post like a black owned business mm-hmm. directory, you know, which I thought was excellent yeah. because if you do want to like make a change, you need to be a lot more intentional about where you're spending your money. And so that's something that I've been talking to a friend of mine about because my money is not going to black initiatives or black causes, like not even 5%. No, but <laughs> and the, th- the thing is, obviously, this is where this is a, a teaching moment, because the fact is that we live in a society where the default is it's going to be things like Amazon and Apple and these big conglomerates and these big capitalist institutions, which make it easy to spend your money. But obviously, as you said, are not benefiting minority communities or innovation-led grassroots organizations or whatever. And the problem, quote unquote, is that the onus is on you as a consumer to seek out that information and act on it. But perhaps this, as you said, can be the kind of turning point for that when we do get the list of these, you know, black owned business directories and supporting local and helping your friends who are starting up companies and organizations. Because sometimes we're all just so busy that it is easy to just go on to Amazon and just prime it to yourself. Yeah. But maybe this is a chance to reset that. Yeah, absolutely. It's so, so convenient, right? And if you are shopping with the likes of whatever, the big players, you know, it's important if this is something that you consider important to lobby these organisations. What does your supply chain look like? Yeah. What does your HQ look like? What roles are people doing? 
what does your board look like? So of course, like big companies play a big role in our lives and you have to keep that conversation going and you have to put the pressure on them to diversify their supply chain and, you know, provide opportunity for other people. And one of the things I was reading is that in terms of like payment terms, if you're working with a really big company, they could have like 16, 90 day payment terms and small businesses right. can't afford to, in terms of cash flow, like they need their cash in mm-hmm. 40 30 days right they can't wait 90 days so there are ways in which you could sort of change the standards of your procurement process to accommodate right smaller organizations that's really interesting that's really so interesting it's- and it's the minutiae that we haven't had to think about in a very tangible way do you know what I mean that's a clear example of how easy it is to mm-hmm. make life just a little bit easier for these smaller businesses it's so straightforward. Like, I mean, people are brilliant, right? People are running businesses. People are taking care of their family. People are managing crazy situations at work. So we know people are bright. You know, people mm-hmm. are becoming vegan. People are adopting single-use plastic. All this innovation I'm seeing right before my eyes. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to being anti-racist, everybody's so confused. That they <laughs> you don't need to call me. Stop calling me. <laughs> you know? Um, and so that's kind of like the irony of all of this is that mm. you know people that are not racist are just like living their life not being racist and thinking it's enough to just live their life and not be racist mm-hmm. and then people that are racist are so determined and proactive in their racism that yeah. they lobby for policies that exclude people mm-hmm. when they're hiring there's certain names on CVs that they don't want to look at sitting around like being a good person that's cool let's leave that in 2019 like we don't have any time for that now now if you are a good person we need to see the receipts yeah and I think as well that when you make such a good point about people who have maybe nefarious intentions are the ones who are more likely to lobby and you know there's a polarization where it's always people who are actively trying to make life better for us all to contribute to that egalitarian society where people who are trying to make it worse are the ones who are lobbying and then there's a huge swath of people in the middle who are just kind of like yeah sometimes I vote oh yeah no I don't like I can't be bothered I don't care about either of them and actually if as you say people are feeling well I'm not racist this Mm. is a great opportunity to align yourself with the people who are you're you're maybe not 50 percent you're 30 percent of the way they're already. So why not just take the jump over to being anti-racist? Yeah, why not take take that jump? And, you know, in the press this week, I did think that the whole X Factor situation is unraveling, right? Mm. So a bunch of old X Factor contestants, black X Factor contestants are coming out and sharing the experience that they had being on that show. Mm-hmm. And you know, and are saying that they were mistreated because of their race. And a, one of the bigger headlines is black female artist Misha B, who was 19 when she went on X Factor. So, so young. And she made an Instagram live video that was an hour long, where she detailed her experience of bullying, of being gaslit, of... It's difficult because they were saying that Misha B was a bully, but they were basically bullying her. Mm. A 19-year-old on your show with absolutely no power... And I just found that situation, I feel so bad for Misha B, you know, her experience and then also her PTSD. She's still dealing with everything yeah, that she on that show. So you also had Leona Lewis came out and shared her experience. Alexandra Burke came out and shared her experience. 
And there's a clip that's going around on the internet. I don't know if you've seen it, Phoebe, but it's basically like the X Factor show and they're giving feedback. I think I have. It's like, oh, you're great, but you're too confident. Yes, I have seen this. And she's looking at him like, she's not saying anything. She's just taking that feedback. Oh, you're too confident. And then you have Talisa, Talisa, whatever, sorry. She's like, yeah, you know, I'm just hearing that you're a bully. You're so talented, but I'm just hearing that you're a bully behind the scenes. This is on like the live show, am I right? This is on the live show and this is them giving this young woman feedback. I'm hearing you're a bully behind the scenes. You said something to one of my contestants, all very vague. Mm -hmm. And then Kelly Rowland is sitting there literally looking like what the hell are these people on and then Kelly Rowland basically stands up and like defends Misha B right right and then you've got Gary Barlow that sat next to Kelly Rowland and he's looking like completely not into what he's saying but he doesn't say anything Mm -hmm. he's the biggest star out of all of them yeah he does not say anything in that moment but he's not participating in it Mm -hmm. so I look at that as the typical yeah I'm not racist but I'm not going to say anything. I'm not getting involved. Yeah, of course. And, you know, you can apply that to a real life situation where there is some kind of blow up and someone in the room will go home and tell their wife or their husband or their partner or whatever. Oh my God, you won't believe what happened today. Jules and Phoebe had an argument. Like Phoebe said something racist. At no point would they be like, and I didn't do anything. I literally just sat there. I watched it happen. And then I just came home and told you about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's on TV and it's all, you know, you see everyone's different reaction. And then in 2018, Gary Barlow released an autobiography. Mm -hmm. And in the autobiography, he was saying how he had such a horrible experience on X Factor. The producers would like manufacture storylines. And what he did based on the advice of his network, he hired his own producer. So you'd have an X Factor, yeah, you'd have an X Factor producer coming to the dressing room and say, oh, Misha B is a bully. And then when that producer would leave, his producer would say, don't you dare say that. Wow. Because basically they were willing to like throw anyone under the bus as long as X Factor. For ratings. Yeah. So he was saying he's got so much paranoia like being on that show. And he said that specific example, they would come in and say Misha B is a bully. And his producer would say, we're not touching that. Right. And then you would go on there. Yeah. And then in the live show, Talisa would say she's a bully. Lou would say she's a bully. So it was all their manufacturing. Wow. Honestly, like... Storylines. Have you seen that clip? This is on the same theme, but not tied to Misha B. Have you seen that clip when Mel B was on the X Factor? She was one of the X Factor judges and they're on some TV show doing an interview as the X Factor judges and Louis is sitting beside Mel B and he keeps groping her. But it's like his whole body is angled towards the people who are interviewing him and his hand is just groping her bum the whole time he's talking. But if you just saw his face, which is all you could see on camera, I'm guessing, you wouldn't think that anything was going on because he's so comfortable with doing it. And at one point, Mel B just goes, sorry, are we all are we all seeing this? And she draws attention to his hand. So I just think, God, what a piece of shit. Excuse my language. Yeah, but how many people are complicit? Yeah, I know, for sure. And that's the biggest issue. Like, everybody can see this girl, 19 years old, is being traumatized and being bullied by these people that are so 
so much power for sure no one is saying anything mm-hmm. and obviously you've given that example of Mel B no one is saying anything yeah now people are saying where's Simon Cowell he's not made a statement it's his show Simon Cowell who we spoke about I think it must have been before Christmas yeah, who contributed to the fucking environment on America's Got Talent for yeah. I think it was yeah the toxic work culture that Gabrielle Union was talking thank about thank you and I see a trend. It's always black women speaking out. Speaking out. Mm-hmm. Gabrielle is speaking out, fighting for people. Kelly Rowland is there, live TV, speaking out. Mm-hmm. I haven't read enough about why black women always come to the rescue. Mm-hmm. I haven't read enough about it. If you guys know what is going on. A I scientific like resource. Yeah, yeah, I would like to sort of understand. Because even me, I find myself to be that sole voice advocate. Mm-hmm for people Mm -hmm. and so yeah so I think this is a great case study of what not to do and yes you know if you just go back like find that video look at that video look at Gary Barlow's reaction look at his statement in 2018 when he released his book he was on the right side of history but he did not speak up yes of course Mm mm-hmm and, that, and that's why I don't vote him. I'm like, you released that book in 20, 2018. Well, it's interesting because the Misha B incident happened 10 years ago, did you say? Mm-hmm. So, like, in oh, so many ways... It, about his own relationships and his own... You know, it's not easy to speak up. Like, Simon Cowell is so powerful. For sure, for sure. And it does, you know, that it speaks to a greater hierarchy, a greater power structure. I think it's... I mean, at this stage... I definitely watched X Factor. I was probably watching it 10 years ago. It was probably coming to the end of my watching it 10 years ago, if that makes sense, because I actually have a really low embarrassment threshold and I used to find the auditions so cringy. But you know that they are pimping out your sad stories. You know that it's all about what sob story narrative can you also perform or what stereotype, what caricature can they make you fit into And it's very reminiscent of, you know, that Black Mirror episode where they're all performing, basically. It's an X Factor-esque talent show. And if you win, you get to leave, basically, the factory-type setting that you live and you exist in. And it's all about what narrative that they can push on you so that you're an easy consumable for the viewers at home. And I think that that pertains to the judges as well. You know, you look at someone like Talisa, who only had probably a couple more years after that season of X Factor was filmed before she came crashing down as well because they sabotaged her. And it's, as you say, Gary Barlow is there. He's on the right side of history because he didn't contribute, but he's only on the right side of history because of a technicality because he also didn't get involved and say, guys, this is ludicrous. And no one wants to burn the house down. No one wants to be like, this is nonsense, actually. And, you know, as I said, Talise said a couple more years before... Kelly Rowland spoke up. No, of course. What I mean by that is that Kelly Rowland was a guest judge for that year. And so all of the people who were saying, oh, you know, like, this is my chance to make it. Talisa's the least famous person on that whole panel, right? And instead of thinking, this is so toxic, it will be my turn at some point, she's happy to join in. And it's like... Joining in won't save you. Joining in bought you, what, an extra season. And then Mm. you suffered that huge sting, which it turned out was massively kind of not fabricated, but very much so exaggerated about the drug sting. I don't know enough about this to kind of talk about this at great length. But what I mean is everyone is scrabbling to just protect themselves. 
And so you take Kelly Rowland, who maybe also had the benefit as such of not being based in the UK. So she's going to speak up and then she's going to be like, well, either way, my contract's one year. I'm not relying on you to make me famous, just so you know. Whereas everybody else who is desperate to remain a cog in that machine is happy to be complicit, happy to go along with it. Yeah, it's very tricky. And that's why like, I don't lean too heavily on people's intentions. It's mm. really all about the impact. So I don't know Kelly Rowland personally, unfortunately. <laughs> I do love her, but I don't know her. She's not a mate of mine. So I can't really judge what her intentions were. But in terms of her impact, at mm-hmm. least in that moment, Misha B knew that she wasn't alone. There was an yeah. alternative voice. And she used her privilege to stand up for Misha B. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we've got to move towards like impact. Gary Barlow had all the best intentions. Like even when he joined that show, he knew, oh, this could get kind of crazy. He yeah. had his, his own producer there to basically protect him. Mm-hmm. And as someone who's more established in the industry, you know, I, I just think it's such a lack of courage to watch young people go through that system mm-hmm. to not speak out against that. And that yeah. is a conversation that could have happened offline. It did not need to happen on national TV. Totally. Um, but he's got a huge star power. I think if he stepped up, it could have been different. But then, of course, this was 10 years ago. The world was a different place. It was. And I'm glad you made that point because I do think that's an interesting one. It is crazy to think as much has changed, both as much and as little has changed as it has. But I also think it's interesting when you talk about Gary Barlow and his star power, because from a superficial perspective, I can imagine that a lot of people think he's not that famous, but actually... He is one of the, if you look into how much he's composed and all of the artists he's worked with, as you said, he's a star player. He is big in the industry. Also, he went through the same thing. And when I say the same thing, I obviously don't mean this kind of racial stereotyping that within your Misha B example. But when he was in Take That, he was eviscerated because he was just like the fat, ugly one. And it was all like, oh, Robbie Williams has got the star power. Gary Bardo might write the songs, but he's nothing to look at. This band will sink now that Robbie Williams is gone. And he was perceived as, you know, the dud. And so it's Mm -hmm. kind of crazy to me how you could live through that, bear the scars of that. And then just because you've kind of gotten through it and now you're the nation's darling, or at least the, the nation has a bit more respect for you, that you could just allow that to happen to somebody else and just be a bit like, well, it's not me at least. Yes. And that's the kind of, when you watch that clip, it's very interesting. I would love to see a psychologist analyze what was going on Mm -hmm. or like a a body language expert analyze what was going on. You could see him like exasperated, like, oh, you know, here they go again. Here we go again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But obviously there's something holding him back. And that's why it's so interesting being black in the UK because you've got people that have all the power, all the prestige, all the money, all the platform, all the privilege, and they can't speak up. And there's this mm-hmm. unspeakable burden on black people to like manage every situation perfectly, don't lose your cool, get good grades. It's a crazy expectation that you have yeah. on minorities to always be perfect. And then mm-hmm. the people that have all the resources are just <laughs> chilling. Out. Yeah, it is true. It is true. They wanted me to be to get on there be the model minority and even when you had contestants that were you know I think for me I was so young when Misha B was on X Factor mm-hmm. and I remember our oh, Misha B and everyone was like oh Misha B but then she disappeared yeah of course 
And then I didn't really know why I didn't really think about it. But I think what I've learned, just kind of looking at that whole like, X Factor thing, you had completely different personalities. But as soon as you had a black person that was a bit confident, and you do have to be confident to make it through that process, their goal was to break this person down. Yes, 100%. And also the end goal as well is for good television. You don't care who you leave in your wake. Like that might have gotten good ratings for that evening but you're not thinking beyond that because you the people behind x factor basically like you are not a person to them (laughs) you are there to be consumed and then discarded Hmm. do you know what i mean yeah x factor is a really kind of visible example we've got the content and we can go and have a look at it but i think probably one of the reasons why for me this story, although I've not read as deeply into it as I should, but it's really kind of stuck in my mind as something I've seen this week is because I can relate completely to should be's experience. And I always tell this story, so I'm going to tell it on my podcast. But it does remind me of when I was in secondary school, in my first year of secondary school, when I was in year seven. And when I started secondary school, I was writing a book. I was so into English literature, very, very, very passionate. And then when it came to the end of the school year, in my school, they would give a prize to one student from every class just to acknowledge them as being a a great student. And so everybody expected me to get the prize for English. Every single person expected me to have the prize in my class because Mm -hmm. I was outperforming everybody in my class in enthusiasm, in results, in everything, right? And then the list came out and I wasn't on the list. It was another student. And then I'm thinking, I'm so confused. My friend was like to me, oh, it's not you. It's like this other person. I was like, oh, really? Oh, my and then God. Even having to be like, oh, I didn't expect it to me be like trying to pretend that you've not been hurt by it. It's just. No, no, I was saying I expected it to me. To be <laughs> we all expected it to be me. And so then I bumped into my teacher, like walking down the stairs. And she mm-hmm. was walking up the stairs and I was walking down the stairs. And I said, oh, miss, how come I didn't get the prize for English? And, you know, she was all confused. And then, like, she ran off. I can't remember if she said anything to me at all. And then they basically suspended me from school. Like, they kicked me out of school. And they said, oh, you can't come back to school until you come back with your mom, et cetera, et cetera. My mom has to come to school. Yeah. And they say, oh, meets the headmistress. And the headmistress says, oh, Juliet, who was 11, 12 years old at the time. I was just going to say you're a child. Juliet attacked the teacher and we all know that Juliet is bright but she's arrogant oh my god right so we all know she's one of our gifted and talented students she's very bright but she's very arrogant wow what did your mom say well and that's the challenge that you have right yeah because I'm from an immigrant family Mm -hmm. if I'm my mom's mission is to keep me in school make sure I behave well Mm -hmm. right my mom going to kick off and you know I don't think people would be brave enough to kick out a white child because they cared about their education and it's interesting during this whole time because I was speaking to a friend of mine who's Portuguese and went to the same secondary school as me and she was telling me how in school she set fire to the girls bathroom it was a girls school so she set fire to the bathroom she trashed the headmistress's office oh my god she broke 10 laptops and nothing happened nothing happened nothing barely happened to her Wow. And I thought, wow, I can really relate to Misha B when they say, oh, you're too confident. Like, this is something that must really trigger people. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is something that must have really triggered 
my teacher, who was an old lady, like a woman in her 50s, I don't see why an 11 or 12 year old asking a question is unacceptable. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happened to Misha B, and it's given her all this PTSD, that's happening to black children everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. You know. Wow. And so it's a really interesting situation. I think you have to be so strong to be able to get through something like that. I remember it so vividly. Yeah, of course. And the injustice Um, of it, having to swallow the injustice of it. I remember the injustice of it. And it's like, you know, everyone has that story. Like everyone who's black, British and was excellent in school has a story of a teacher that did something similar to this. It's like very common, like it's not special. Um, And when I tell people this, they're like, oh my God, they're like shocked. What planet are you guys living on? Mm -hmm. What do you think is happening to, if adults are being treated badly, what do you think happens to to black children? Yeah, 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 of course. It's it's systemic. It's not going to be one of those things where it's like, oh, they're 18 now, so they're ready for the full (laughs) wrap of my microaggressions. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's why I kind of needed to take a break from the podcast and need, because I'm like, wow, Jules, you have actually been through so much. Mm-hmm. And this is not stuff that, you know, I think about on a daily basis. And then obviously you get to the point sometimes as a black person where you're just happy to be alive and to have the life that you have yeah, because not everybody else has the same opportunity. And but also the bar think- is so low for you to just be happy to make it through your education, mm-hmm. make it into, you know, a decent job. It's like, yeah, why not? I should have had all of those things because I've always worked towards it. Yeah, for sure. And I was just going to say, I think a lot of the time for non-white people, just existing is so heavily politicized. As you said, that there are times where you just want to just be and not have to worry about the idea that your identity is ticking X, Y, Z box. You just want to be like, you know what, I've got a nice job. I got my degree. I am married. My husband and I live in a nice area. Can I just, can I just have that without having to also be all that and uh well what are you doing for other black people in your community immediately do you know what I mean that that onus always has to be at your feet if that makes sense it's a real tricky one because there are a lot of people you know just because a woman is a CEO doesn't mean she's advocating for other women right just because 100% you know a black person is in a good position doesn't mean they're advocating for other black people so for me this is just a value that I have of mine. Mm-hmm. Everyone can kind of live their life how they want. But I think for me, it's important. So I actively will advocate, will put myself in challenging situations because there's a certain like skill set that I need to develop so I can pass it on to my own kids. So when mm-hmm. they're going through similar challenges, because guys, it's not the end of racism, right? Yeah, when they're yeah, going yeah. Some of the challenges you know I'm able to pass those skills and I think it's in, in general you have to just become comfortable with yourself and you have to realize that not everybody's going to like you and you really just have to be strong in your value system and that's basically where I am mm-hmm. but I've always been that way but the funny thing is a lot of black people that you meet professionally are like the most passive black people you'll ever meet <laughs> and that's when you say that life. what do you mean you know a lot of black people that you meet that work for great companies just want to put their head down and like work. Mm. They don't want to lift their head up. Well, so it's there's like a, stuff because it's very difficult. There's a, I mean, it's well versed at this point that say within the medical, the healthcare industry, that the sexism that the women as a whole are exposed to, working their way up from from interns to to SHOs, 
and so on is well versed at this point but I remember I hadn't really been I guess exposed to it because I don't work in healthcare but one of my best friends is a doctor and when she was an intern there were several creepy encounters with consultants in the hospital that she was working in that you know would encroach on her personal space but not just with her with all of the the young women who worked in the hospital would feel empowered to do things like adjust their earrings or untwist their necklaces brush their hair off their shoulders things like this and um it was really interesting because a female doctor a female consultant who was Irish but was based in Australia basically wrote an op-ed where she was like get over it that happened to all of us you know you just got to suck it up and move on and it really speaks to what you're saying there that I think some people sometimes get through the difficult bit and want to be like so well if I had to do it you have to do it and you hear that rhetoric sometimes when people debate about abolishing tuition fees for third level education and there'll always be some people who say well I had to pay them so why should other generations not have to pay them yeah that's the irony I think tuition fees are a big irony because we are probably the first generation in the UK that actually had to pay significant tuition fees but I think the point you've made is an important one in the sense that people who are older and like have gone through the same levels of discrimination bullying harassment they feel it's a rite of passage Yes, 100%. They feel like, oh, I dealt with that. You should. And you'll speak to, it's the same in terms of race. Like you'll just speak to some older people and they're just like, oh, that's how the world is. No ceiling. Like don't let your race hold you back. And I'm like, wait a minute. All the data says (laughs) that there's a good chance my race is holding me back. Um, (laughs) You know, so it's very, and I don't want to be one of those older people. Mm -hmm, Like I don't look at me, you know, and I don't want to be the person that says, oh, I dealt with it, you should too. And a big trick I found is that if there's just a blanket toxic culture, then no one gets held accountable. They're like, oh, he's like that with everyone. Yes. Oh, gosh. Actually, that's really interesting. That is the thing. So, you know, if I have an issue with someone, people always say, oh, but is he like that with everyone? Mm. And if he is like that with everyone, then you literally have no case. But also, I think it's interesting that when people do say that, it's very much so like, well, guess what? That's still not okay. And I think that you and I were talking about this off the podcast, but Leah Michelle, who is the main star of Glee, and I don't know if you watched Glee. I did, yeah. So did I. And then I had to stop because, again, it got a bit like, to twee for me but anyway I digress she tweeted something about Black Lives Matter and an actress who had been a guest star her first ever TV gig on Glee basically subtweeted and said you made my life a fucking living hell when I was on the show with you she was a black woman and for the life of me I can't think of her name right now but she said you made my life a living hell you threatened that you were going to shit in my wig and so everyone was like oh God, okay, she's racist. You know, she targeted this woman and made her life a living hell. Loads of other people, including Amber Riley, who was another one of the black actresses on the show, were very much so like, yeah, I co-sign this. This is accurate. And then Amber Riley was on a podcast and was asked to speak about it again and basically said, listen, this is the last comment I'm going to make about this. I can't speak to whether or not she's racist. I don't know what's in her heart, but I will say Basically, she made everyone's life a living hell. 
And this is what loads of people were coming out saying. People who had worked with her when she was 11 on Broadway were saying, she made me cry every single day. She tortured me. She was awful. And it was to white people, it was to black people, it was to gay people and straight people. And so the narrative was very much so like, don't worry, because even though it was racially motivated when she did it to you, she is just actually vile to everyone. So we can't call her racist. We'll just call her not a very nice person. And it's a bit like, even if that was your, like the flimsiest of arguments, but even if that was your argument, that's actually still not okay. We should be holding horrible people to account as well. It shouldn't just be like, oh, well, when they commit a hate crime, we'll have a word. You know what I mean? Yeah, I completely agree. And that's the challenge because if you look at someone like Amber Riley and the lady that you mentioned who kind of kicked this off with like subtweeting you and Michelle is Samantha Ware. That's the name of the actress. Thank you. The challenge you have is, yes, you can treat everybody badly, but the impact it has does vary, mm-hmm. right? The opportunities that Black actresses have to be on a show like Glee are very, very slim. You know, if you're bullying them, you know, someone like Amber Riley the impact of her speaking out in that context, she has so much more to lose yes. than a white male that Leah was mean to. Mm-hmm. There are just more opportunities for this man in Hollywood yeah. than there, there are for someone like Amber Riley or for someone like Samantha Ware. So yes, somebody might be horrible to everyone. I think it's important to address that behavior and be zero tolerance about mm-hmm. that behavior in general. And I also think it's important to understand that, that impact varies depending on that person's position and their privilege and their platform. Mm -hmm. Like I'm sure if it was Beyonce who was a guest star on Glee, Leah Michelle couldn't say anything. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Beyonce is the queen now, Mm -hmm. right? She knows she's smart. She knows who she can bully and she knows who she can intimidate. That's why this kind of era that we're in, you know, I do like to see people who are coming out and using Black Lives Matter as a logo being dragged. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You you see your own colleagues that literally like bully you and undermine you, ignore you, and they'll go online and they'll post Black Lives Matter. Like, you know, it's the most hollow thing. Yeah, for sure. They don't want to be caught not doing it, as you said at the beginning of the session. With every movement, there needs to be that, you know, even with something like Pride, yeah, just going to a Pride parade and like having fun and appropriating gay slang and like gay culture, like Mm -hmm. that doesn't make you an ally. You know, being an ally. For sure standing up when it's inconvenient and when it's uncomfortable for you same with something like black lives matter like posting a tweet staying in some chain of anti-racism online that you feel you don't want to break I mean no one cares about that I think it's just all about your actions at this point I totally agree and also knowing when to step back and say listen actually my voice and this probably this pertains more to to white people than in the context of Pride, it also applies to cis and heteronormative people. Know when your voice isn't amplifying the voices that it needs to. And so if it's the case that you're being asked to contribute to something, but you are, you know, we we talked about it with Serena Williams' husband, Alex Ohanian, the founder of Reddit. When he stepped down from his place on the board and he said, I'd like to see a person of color replace me because we need to be elevating non-white voices here at Reddit to a similar degree, and we won't be able to get into this in all its glory because we're coming to the end of this episode, but Jessica Mulroney, who is probably best known as being one of Meghan Markle's good friends, 
had something basically massively blow up in her face over the past week and a half, maybe, with regards to racist kind of threatening behavior towards a Toronto-based influencer, Sasha Exeter. She's been really feeling the repercussions of that. And her husband, Ben Mulroney, who is a presenter on eTalk Canada, stepped down from his role as presenter, basically saying, I'd like to make room for a person of color to replace me. So obviously that is different because that's a massive scrabbling for good PR after your wife has behaved abominably. But there's a lesson there and the lesson is know when your voice is necessary and know when you stepping back can create space for someone more relevant to speak. Yes, I've got two points on that, right? So with the um, Alexis Ohanian situation, a couple of people in my WhatsApp, like black people in my WhatsApp are like, oh, no black person asked him to like give up his job. You know, what's this all about? And I'm like, he's a billionaire. A board seat is like nothing to him. It's not like he's only got one stream of income, right? Yeah. He's absolutely fine. This has no impact on his life to free up that space so someone else mm-hmm. can have the opportunity. It's the equivalent of when you see a multi-billionaire donate a million dollars, which is a tax write-off. This has no impact yeah. on their quality of life whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's great when people are like, wow, I actually have so much. I can free up this space for somebody yeah. else to have that opportunity. So in theory, that's something that I do agree with. The challenge that you have is that you can't just lean into the fact that somebody's black yes right? mm-hmm. because just because somebody's black doesn't mean that they care about diversity and inclusion like they might just be riding that way for themselves being a symbol is fine but we need policy we need results at this point so you have to be very very careful because it gives people an out if they just go and bring the black guy that hangs out with them at their country club and put him in a position That is true. You are absolutely correct. I guess the point that I was trying to make is that sometimes if you are the default, as as I am, for example, you get opportunities that are maybe not extended to other people. So for example, I was asked to speak on a panel for Pride for LGBTQ gender identification and allyship. And I just responded and I said, you know, I really appreciate being asked and I'm really flattered that you thought of me. But as a cisgendered heterosexual woman, a married woman, I just don't think it would be appropriate for me to take a place on that panel when somebody else could actually benefit from sitting on that, from speaking on that. And the idea was that I would speak from a place of of allyship. But even that, it sounds nice and it's an ego stroke to be asked. But ultimately, the only allyship that I can ever speak about is I personally have never committed a hate crime. You know what I mean? So even talking about allyship should come from the perspective of the person who needs allies. Does that make sense? I disagree with that. Really? I completely disagree with that because the work, of course, on a panel, you need to have, you know, different perspectives represented, but it's very, very important for the allies people that are doing the work, that are challenging ideas within that heteronormative group, it's very important for that person to be at the table and say, this is how I deal with it, this is what I recommend. Because in in a lot of situations, you're going to have more power to impact culture and impact change. 
Yes, I think that you are correct, but I also don't think that there is a perspective in this instance, in this example, there's no perspective that I can give that is going to be meaningful or resonate in terms of it is none of my business. I think that we should be absolutely egalitarian in our approach to non-heteronormative relationships. And I think that there is probably a balance here with regards to your point of recognizing, yeah, there are points at which you can amplify other voices by being there, but there is also a point at which you are taking up space that could be better filled. Sometimes the amplification that you can best do is by stepping back. Yeah, it really differs context to context. If I think about this exact example in the context of race, you know, I feel that racism and being anti-racist is a white people's conversation. Totally. Right. And amplifying voices, yeah, cool, that's probably one part of the strategy. But if we look at the pillar of privilege and the resources, the networks that people have access to, to like drive policy and like impact change, you know, and I, I think about this in the context of Grenfell and we just had the third anniversary of Grenfell. And I think about, you know, these people that live in Kensington, if they want to have an extension to their house, they're going to fight the council for five years. Mm hmm. Right. They have the resources, the space, the mind space to go and fight the council for five years. But nobody fought for the people that died in Grenfell. Yes. Right? Yeah, that's true. That's a part of the journey. You have to really understand your privilege. And you have to own it and you have to leverage it to make a change. So in that context, it could be, oh, I'm not maybe I'm not the most appropriate person. But I would like to know a bit more about the panel. Who is on the panel? Where are these people from? What do they look mm -hmm. like? recommend that you have diverse representation on that panel yeah um, that's that's an excellent point and I think that's something that you know white people don't do enough because every panel is just like white people right mm -hmm. so that's definitely a way in which you could assert your privilege but also I think maybe because you're in an echo chamber of people that are similar to you you just don't realize that when you step out of that echo chamber you have silence I think in the midst of all of this like obviously it's been a really as you said at the beginning of the podcast a really full-on couple of weeks. And I think in the coming weeks and months, hopefully, we will also see a lot of movement towards actual on-the-ground activism. But I am interested, and it's something we've touched on before, what you have been doing from a self-care perspective while all of this has been going on, because it takes a toll. What I've been doing is cutting people out of my life. <laughs> who want to center themselves while I'm out here fighting white supremacy. <laughs> You're gone, baby. You're out. <laughs> Watch out the door. <laughs> don't turn around now. You're not welcome anymore. That's me now. I don't have time. I really have like no time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that when you get to a point in your life where you understand your values, you understand who you are, you understand what you're trying to achieve, you have to accept that you will lose friends. Mm -hmm. You're going to irritate people. You're going to, you know, offend people. And so I think that's kind of the challenge around this time. You know, and I saw this like white lady on Instagram, like crying because like she's losing all her friends because she's out here being anti-racist. Wow. You know, and you will lose friends. Like people will stop inviting you to stuff. People are going to mute you on Instagram. People are going to unfollow you on Instagram. Mm. My husband 
notice that like his follower count is just going down and down. Oh and gosh. Because you know, he never used to post about any stuff and now he's been posting like he's losing followers. And that's just something that you have to accept. Like I'm not a perfect person and I'm I don't do things the right way all the time, but I am a person who has limits. Mm-hmm. So I think if you look at what's happening in the world and then if you think about me and then you add to my burden, it's like an airplane where you just release the cargo. <laughs> I'm just releasing the, the cargo. And that's helped me quite a bit because I, I don't have the bandwidth to, you know, you give so much of yourself. Like being authentic is very challenging. Mm-hmm. I think Brene Brown talks about this a lot. You know, like when you are vulnerable, it is deeply challenging it takes a lot of energy to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and so with all of this happening you know I feel I'm being quite vulnerable about my position on these things and you really need people around you that can like replenish you yeah like at least bring some good vibes that's about it what about you well my husband and I drove to Ireland a couple of days ago so we rented a car and we drove to west coast of ireland which is where my family are so i'm hoping this will be a little bit of self-care a little bit of rest and restoration i think as you say we are interested in politics and social issues in a way that i always end up thinking that everybody else is as well and then i feel sometimes i get into conversations with people and you can just see that you are ruining their vibe so much and that you're like, mm-hmm. oh, God, people are not necessarily talking about this in the same way or like reading about this as much or just exposing themselves to it. And so, like I said, um, my husband and I are in Ireland now. We were social distancing before. And then obviously my family have been social distancing here as well. But we were in my husband and I were in the car with my two sisters yesterday. And I can't remember how it came up, but we basically ended up talking about politics. My sister asked my husband a question. And it kind of like spiraled this whole discussion between my husband and I and nationalism and why it's toxic and da 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 da. Like 10 minutes later, we realized that both of my sisters have basically put their headphones in. They were not interested. And my husband was like, oh, they're not, they're not listening anymore. And my sister was like, oh, took a headphone out. Was it? She was like, I'm so sorry. I have no idea what you're talking about. So... I just thought I'll just leave them off because they're really enjoying themselves. So <laughs> I I think that there's like, those conversations are always great and they're so meaty and you always enjoy them. But actually you have to remember that you can just talk about fluff as well, checking the news and checking social media as well, like for the other side of the news are things that I do as soon as I wake up. And I'm trying to stop doing that, basically. Yeah, I think you definitely have to reduce the news. And that's why I'm still paying attention to what's going on. But I'm not watching as much of this type Mm -hmm. of content as before, because I need to kind of create space for other things. Well, look, guys, we are going to leave it there. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all of your lovely messages over the the past couple of weeks and about the the most recent episodes. Lovely to hear that you enjoyed the episode with Asad as much as you guys did. Hopefully you will enjoy this one just as much and it won't be too long before we have our next guest on as well. Absolutely, guys. And like the podcast (laughs) on whatever platform that you listen to. Yes. Write a review on our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Share the podcast with a friend. You know, we would really, really appreciate it. Let's all be action orientated. Let's spread the word so people stop calling me to educate them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
don't call your your black friends and ask them what they should tell you to do just listen to episode 19 20 and 21 of the jewels and people podcast in particular it's just three hours of your life three hours transformational right three hours and it's transformational so share the podcast and we will catch you next week bye guys thank you bye, bye.